Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You're going to say, Chad, what do you think about him? No, I'm not. No, no I'm not. Thoughts? That was a different version. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> That's the exact same thing. Well, first off top, I liked him. What I was feeling was I was like, I'm going to have to ask Julie to tell me what to think about him. Because well, you know him. That's complicated. I could, I kind of got the vi- that vibe. Can you tell me what to think about him? No, I adore Justin Willman is our guest today on Quitters. And he is a magician. I used to have an insane crush on him. Oh. And I felt very sure he was the one that got away. I was like, that really? was my guy. Now, I obviously know him as a father, as a husband, as a professional, and we work together developing something. I think he's a really cute guy and everything. I don't think he's the one that got away. He's in the perfect relationship. I am easily charmed by him, <laughs> is the short answer. I'm very easily charmed by him. Two things. One is his baby cried while we were recording. Rachel said in the chat to mention that. I thought that was sweet. I didn't mind that at all. Yes, that's his brand new baby. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, look, I miss most of the things. That's so weird. That flashed in my head for like one second. I was like, I wonder if Julie ever dated this person. No, definitely did not. Definitely did not. Met him when he was in a relationship with friend of a friend. Always thought he was so cool. I tend to get involved with people who, where I'm driving the train, when Justin enters a room, he drives the train. He is very um, charming and very polished and very ready to entertain people like at that Seder Passover dinner. And I think there's something about that that really appealed to me to have somebody be be skilled in a way that I can't understand. Just, Mm. I loved that. I mean, I think magic is super interesting. I also think that the, the people who exact magic, there's something about them. I don't know how to like get underneath this person, but I can tell he's like so crafty and about like keeping the things where he wants them. So I kind of like gave up on that and just focused on just like, just be present and just like do have the conversation, you know? I agree. I think that sometimes it's a little bit like a magic trick itself. It's not something you want to take apart completely. You want to find out about it as much as you can, but don't tell me how you did it at the end. That's always tricky. We like to get to the bottom of people. But he did have an interesting quit, I thought. The way that he sort of came into his own and into his own identity, I thought was a really interesting story of a of a quit, one that I mm-hmm. also related to. Yeah, I never heard you t- really talk about that. I wish I'd never changed my name. I'll t- tell you that. Although it would still be hard because I was named Julia. No one has ever called me Julia. 9-11 came along and every mm-hmm. piece of identification had to match up mm-hmm. perfectly. By 9-11, I was an adult who had a working name. It was already confusing to be Julie Lutkemeyer, Julie Bowen, Julia Bowen, Julia Bowen, Lutkemeyer. It was chaos. And I I really, I made sure when I named my kids that their names would be their names. It keeps me um, very humble when I think about how I was trying to redefine myself and that I tried to do something by using my middle name at a time when I was so young. And basically, I have a very smart writer friend who said, we're all living out a life in the blueprints were drawn by an 18-year-old. What does that mean? Like an 18-year-old made this plan. Yeah. yeah. I was, you were an eight, like some 18, 19-year-old was like, <laughs> I got this. And you would like never trust an 18 or 19-year-old right. to make all your decisions for you now. True, but, but you've like, actually done yours, you know? I feel like mine like to the total U-turn, like you actually did yours, I, I think. You made good on the 18-year-old's blueprint. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways I have. But at the same time, you make choices about college, what your major in college is going to be, what you're going to do after college. Yes, there are pivots and quits. You're quit uh, from being a tech guy. I was going to be a lawyer. That's a big pivot. And I wonder if it's if younger people more and more are not going to be f- feeling that pressure 
like I did that you don't get a do-over. Oh. Um, the idea of having a big pivot is perfectly fine. Did you tell me some statistic about how many times millennials change jobs before they're 30? Yeah, it's like four and a half. Yeah, it was... It's like once was every you. two and a half years now. So that's really normal. And I, meanwhile, I was like, well, these are the blueprints, got them stamped. Guess that's what we're doing. I'm curious about your experience interviewing people you know versus people you don't know. How are they different? I like the people that we interview that I know. It's harder for me to get distance on them, but I prefer mm. strangers who both don't know anything. I don't think you or I ever poke to the point of discomfort, but they can go back to their life and they'll have to worry about running into you or me the next day or the next month at a party. It's like safer for a stranger. Yeah. Okay. That's how I yeah. feel. We have Justin Wilman, who is Julie's friend, IRL, and also a magician and also the host of Magic for Humans on Netflix. And then he's working on a new show for uh, Netflix, and he is a magician. He is a comedian. He's a writer. He's a host. He's a father of two. And we heard his baby. And we heard his baby. He's our guest this week <laughs> on Quitters. It's Justin Wilman. Justin, hi. <laughs> We're talking about basketball. Do you have anything to say about basketball? Nothing. Horse. <laughs> Damn it. And that concludes the interview. Shit. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and horse. Chad, nice to meet you. Hi, Julie. Nice to meet you, Justin. You guys know each other already. We know each other. I was a fan, and Justin would be so nice and entertain Oliver at Passovers because Passover takes a long time. And Justin pulled a <laughs> lamb shank out of his ear. A lamb shank. Like this big. And I was standing right there and I was like, holy crap, how did you just do that? Like the only thing I saw was you nodded to your wife. You nodded to Jill. So Jill must have supported. <laughs> did she stick lamb shanks like in her in her blouse or something? Uh-huh. She's got about, we don't leave the house with about four lamb shanks in her purse. <laughs> then we're, just because you never know what might come up. And it was a kosher lamb shank, by the way. <laughs> it was Passover. Have you made her basically your like de facto assistant? We'd certainly never strategize it. I don't do a lot of magic out in real world, except that's a situation where sometimes you need magic because Passover's yeah. long, the script needs a punch up, a revamp, somebody. Someone needs to get in there. Someone from TikTok needs to make it more bite-sized and punchy. So that's a time where for everyone's sanity, to make sure there's not kids roaming about board, you have to bust out a magic trick. You use yeah. what you have in front of you. In that case, I had a lamb shank. I'm very interested in what you do, as I bet most people are. What is magic? What exactly is it? Well, yeah. What a, what, I know. It's like the most wow. obvious question, but the real, <laughs> the hardest one. Well, I'd say ruling out the type of magic that I don't do is I don't mm -hmm. do real magic. I believe real magic exists. You know, the synchronicities of, of life and coincidences that things that feel like magic, right? I don't do that. That's too real. That's too hard to predict. You can't do that Passover at the drop of a hat. I do prestidigitation magic, which is the use of skills, sleight of hand, psychology, science, to exploit all those things, to willingly fool you. You know it's not real. I'm telling you I'm going to do a trick that's going to fool you. And then I fulfill that promise. That's what magic is for me. To give you a temporary escape from reality. That's amazing. <laughs> but your brand of magic, especially if anybody's watched you on Magic for Humans, your Netflix show, which was fantastic, if anybody hasn't watched it, it's one of my all-time favorites. You like to mix in psychology, kind of philosophy, poke at people's understandings and tell a story around it. It's not just walking up to somebody and slicing a pear open and there's a card inside. Clearly, you've got a broader concept of how you want to deliver your magic. When I was a kid, trying to figure out what I wanted to be, I loved comedy first and foremost. Johnny Carson just had the greatest job ever. When you're a kid, like you don't have any life experience to do comedy about for the most part, unless you've got some good bits about chores, you know, or, you know, but <laughs> so when I discovered that a lot of my favorite comedians also started as magicians, like 
Johnny Carson and Steve Martin and Arsenio Hall. Like magic was like their gateway. It's the perfect thing for a kid because you don't have to talk, do jokes about life, you know, or my wife, you know, stuff that doesn't make sense. You're doing a, a magic trick. You can be funny in the context of that. So that's why I love magic in the first place. I, I felt special. I was the only kid in my high school or junior high who did magic. Even like the best athletes were one of a team, you know, or maybe there's the star wrestler. But when you're the only magician in the school, like it's this extra, you know, glow that is alluring. I'm 42 now, but in my 30s, I finally now had like life experience or maybe some things to say or ponder or talk about. So that's, I think, when the magic became more interesting to me to be about something. An incredible visual piece of magic doesn't need to be about something if it's beautiful, like or amazing. But when it's about something, leaves people with a little something to chew on. Magic's like a metaphor. It's a, it's a way into exploring ideas. I think that people don't usually see magic as the way in. Penn and Teller do that a lot. I'm finding myself watching you very closely because I'm like, okay, you see him coming. You know he knows how to make you see what he wants you to see. So watch him. Is that something that happens to you with people? Are they like really keeping a close eye on you most of the time? In person, there is this expectation that like, a magic trick could happen at any moment. A lamb shank could appear at any moment. I don't know, something about the magician hand gesture, maybe my hand gestures. Audio only listeners, just know I'm gesturing a lot. In <laughs> There's a lot of hands. And it might be what I'm kind of, <laughs> when I'm not doing magic, it's my way of filling the space. I can't do a trick right now, so I'm just waving, I'm flailing. Maybe I flail elegantly. And maybe that's what it is. But yeah, people watch me. As a magician, you're very vulnerable. They know you're doing something sneaky. You know you're doing mm-hmm. something sneaky. So they're watching extra. And you need to, knowing their watch extra, make sure they don't see the thing they're not supposed to watch. But, you know, you only have two hands. It's in one of them. You're under a microscope. I want to go back to you being the only magician kid. There's another way that could have gone, like head in the locker. Well, head in the locker, that's how you learn to be an escape artist. I'm thinking two things. One, you must have been really good pretty soon. Because if you're a kid walking around in a top hat and a cape, not I don't know if you were, but I do know because I've seen your early publicity when you were just incredible. You looked pretty trendy for the time. It was First a very, off, you, you know, you're on trend. Just incredible. I do. Just yeah. incredible. It's, in, it's in my <laughs> dossier here. It's written out so I could get the joke. <laughs> well, yeah. good. Good. Isn't that a little lonely? Do you like the being alone part of it? Because there's a lot of being alone to it. There's a lot of being alone to it. I never learned magic as a class, you know, where you're with other people. To me, that makes it less special. I want to like work extra hard and dig deep in an old book and learn something that like nobody else is aware of, like because it's a hundred years old or something like that. Like I, as a kid, I loved that. You don't know if it's any good until you get out and do it for somebody. It's hard to fool yourself in front of the mirror. It was either that or maybe if I learned to play the guitar, I'm sure that's an equal amount of loneliness, meditative loneliness, right? Until you're out in front of people. I suppose so. It's like being a writer or something, or it's a lot of alone time. You working something up all on your own, which I imagine, especially as a kid, being very isolating, but you have a very positive spin on it. I recruited my sister to be my assistant as a kid. So when I was like four, 14, my sister, who was like seven or eight at the time, she would wear like a French maid outfit and I'd wear oh. my tux and I would make doves appear in this kind of Lance Burton-esque dove act and she would put them on the perch. So that was less lonely. Like we would like rehearse a lot. We would do competitions on a national level when I was like a sophomore in high school. So it kind of became a, like a family affair. I was still like the only magician in my school, but at least my sister was stoked about this fun thing we did and you get to travel and meet other magicians. I know. Magic conventions. No, I I just, (laughs) at what age do you buy a dove and someone says that's fine? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I remember my first dove. I remember her well. Her name was Miss Daisy and I was probably 14. And then by 15, I had like six of them. Did you keep them? Like in a- Uh, Yeah, we had multiple cages on our porch. I probably had up to 14 doves at once. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would travel with these doves. Get on a plane with a bunch of doves? Yeah, and a bunny. Pre-9-11, you could get away with this stuff. <laughs> you literally go walk on a plane with a with two boxes of doves and a bunny. <laughs> yeah, on my way to work. When I was a kid, I wanted to do sports. I wanted to do acting. I wanted to do plays. I was on TV. I did all that stuff because I think on some level, I just wanted people to watch me. Like I wanted to be able to hold their attention. Is that what was going on here? Was it, did you want to make them say, wow? Yes, exactly. I want them to be wowed. In, a, in some sort of a solo light. In high school, I golfed and I was on the wrestling teams. They're teams, but you're, you're alone. 
You know what yeah. I mean? I mean, I couldn't sing. So I was never cast in an ensemble production of anything. I was always very solo. I don't know what that is. If it was maybe just a, like I was an only child for the first six years of my life, I want to get back to that. You know, I don't know what happened. But yeah, you can relate. There's something that drives you to just wanting to have the spotlight, but also like share something special, you know, make people feel a certain way. Magic, you get like instant results, you know, like you can turn someone's day around. Maybe this is a big part of it. It's maybe different than other things. You can be an amazing performer as a kid or an athlete or a musician, but your elders, even your teachers, they know how you're doing what you're doing, even if you're really good at Mm -hmm. it. But with magic, you can do a thing that adults don't know how you're doing this. If there was a kid who's doing kind of like a beautiful mind math, you know, who amazing their teacher, that's one thing. A teacher, your job is to educate me and I'm doing a magic trick casually after science class. And you're kind of like, what the hell? How are you doing this? It's a empowering thing for a yeah. For an awkward kid. It's like you flip yeah. the status with somebody. Like your scary history teacher is suddenly going, how did you do that? But it's also a way, and this is me painting this because I'm a, a weird loner, of <sighs> keeping a distance though. A lot of photographers I know, they always are carrying the camera. It's not just because they can't wait to get the cool picture, the neat shot that they're thinking about. It gives them something to do in a place where they would otherwise feel awkward. They've got a role. They have a thing to do. And it, it also allows them to view the world sort of through their camera. And I'm putting this on you, Justin. So correct me. Is it a way as well to have an interaction that you're in control of and can kind of push the brakes when you want? It's a mm. lot He's nodding. of control. It's a lot of control. <laughs> because once I go into a trick, you know that your job, you know, as an audience, your job is to kind of sit back and just observe. And normal social interactions that I know I was very not adept at in junior high and high school as a kid, these formative times, because there's no script for that. You can't practice that, but I can practice a trick where I have you do a thing and then you put the card back in the deck and then this, and then you're amazed. And then the conversation is about how amazed you are and how great you think that trick was not about like, so what do you think of, you know, the Ramones or what do you think of this? You know, like you've got control of the situation for sure. And in comedy, you know, you've got the microphone. Now there's this natural control dynamic set up versus a, you know, like a discourse like this, you know, it's a little more of on your toes in the moment. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas city, go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Can you tell when you are encountering someone who is going to be difficult to fool? Well, you know when someone's not a magic person. Like Julie's difficult to fool, I will say. Julie, mm. you like really? watching my, you your 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 game, you're in it, but you <laughs> not that you're difficult to fool. You you are open to being fooled. I love being fooled. Yeah, but I, but you will admit, like, when you're watching a show, like, you can see other people who are looking where he wants them to look or doing the thing, and you're kind of like, no, no, I'm taking it all in. I'm scanning. Okay, there's this, this, this. Wow, look at his tie. What was he thinking when he wore that tie? Like, everything, right? You're kind of analyzing right. everything. And sometimes you'll catch something that you didn't want to, right? Well, like, no, but that's why I like your comedy. And I saw you perform live. Were you just on the stage at the Hollywood Roosevelt and you it's sort of a series of cool tricks are happening and there's a printer and it prints out some paper and he gets it it's part of another trick it's just there's a functioning printer on the set and it never moves and all of a sudden he just hammers down on the printer and it crunches it's it's just a piece of paper but we just saw it print I mean, that was the kind of thing where you just go, I know, I, I, I have no idea what's going on. And you really start to wonder if up is down. It definitely makes you feel dizzy with the possibilities. To me, that was impossible. That in your wife coming out of a small bag. But Chad, to circle back on that, Julie was in the audience. The audience members are kind of in their seats. Whether or not someone's difficult to fool, I don't think about as much when I'm on stage. But I used to do close-up magic or strolling magic, where it's kind of like, all my props I've got on me, deck of cards, some rope, this, 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 and you're kind of mingling at a party. And that was like the, my bread and butter for years. Even even like walk around at a restaurant, you know, you can get a spidey sense that somebody's going to be a real dick, or they're going to reach in your pocket to try to pull out the thing. Like those are really obnoxious. As a magician, you learn to actually 
handle and circumvent. Like, I'm so grateful for all that. I started the show by saying that, like, there's two types of people who come to my shows. There's, there's people who love magic because they love the way it makes them feel. They don't want to know how it works. And then the second group of people are the people the first group brought with them, the plus ones, <laughs> who just come because they would never seek out a magic show on their own. There are people who are not those types of people. And I want to, you know, bring them both in, bring both sides in. Because obviously every magician started as a bit of a cynical skeptic. They needed to know so bad that they, they found out. Versus the people who are like, I really want to know. I want to figure out how that trick works. Those people aren't a problem. You know, that's a natural thing. What traits predispose someone to being a good magician? I think I just heard one, which is cynicism, curiosity. You become a magician because you're so so amazed by magic. How could that be possible? Like as a kid, I remember seeing David Copperfield and wanting to get a magic kit because I thought that magic kit must have like powers, right? There must be some shortcut that breaks the laws of the universe. And then you learn that it's not. It's just like you learn that there's tricks and it's practice and the magic that you sought doesn't exist. And then you work really hard to basically create the illusion that it does again. So you're kind of like, I'm telling you that it's all about suspending your disbelief, but I wouldn't have gotten here if I didn't unsuspend my disbelief and figure out how it all works. Can you be fooled? Yeah. Love being fooled. It was the last time you saw a magic trick where you're like, damn, you got me. How the hell did he do that? Just the other night in New York, some magicians came and there's this one young girl who I'd, I'd seen some of her stuff online. She's 18. Like she's so young, so talented. And after the show, she's doing that thing where she kind of shows you a trick that's a work in progress. And, you know, I get a lot of people like showing me tricks. So I'm trying to like be a good audience member. Right. But you can't help, but if it's a card trick and I could tell it's where this is heading. She, I picked a card, she's holding the card. It's a six of diamonds or something. And I'm now getting ahead of, all right, wherever this is heading, I'm looking at the edges of the card. I'm kind of looking for a seam. I'm just trying to like get right. to the method before the tr- before I even see where this is going. My brain can't not at least look for the flaws. And just, I'm like, oh, okay, I don't know where this is heading because that's just a six of diamonds, completely ungimmick, I'm thinking in my head. And then a second later, like she just rubs her finger over the six and it turns into a three. And I really like didn't see that coming. Mm-hmm. Just a little thing. Like <laughs> wow. not that it was a whole trick, but yeah. it was just like, <laughs> okay, so there must have been like a flap or something. How did I not see that flap? I'm right here. Like, it was really pretty cool. Like, I love when I tell myself, well, there's no way this is going to happen. Where's this going? And then that exact thing happens. For a magician to say that a trick fooled them, you only need like maybe 10% of the trick to fool the magician. A magician can know everything that you did except for that one little thing. How did you show your hand empty there? That fooled mm-hmm. me. But but a, a non-magician, if they know how 10% of the trick work, they think they have it all figured out. Like it didn't fool Right. Them. For that printer trick, if at one point you saw like, oh, see, I saw it wasn't even plugged in. So it wasn't a real printer. So it didn't fool <laughs> me. Even though that doesn't explain but everything. But if you see. It was printed. But it was. <laughs> it was printed. I'm a writer. I go in writer's room sometimes. Writers are thoughtful and observant and cynical and kind of mean sometimes and creative and sometimes stuck in their brains and can't actually like do stuff they need to do in their lives. What are magicians like? Like what are magician communities like? They share a lot of those traits that writers do, I think. But there are a lot of writers who are perfectly happy and enjoy maybe not being the ones who have to deliver the words that they write. They like having a bit of a disconnect. Yeah, I wrote that, but there's a little bit of freedom. Like, you could write something for somebody that you would never say yourself because you're writing for their character. You're writing for this show. You're writing to fill this template the best way. There's a windshield I, between you and the thing. There's a windshield a little bit because you're like, yeah. worst case, if it's like, hey, it's, it was just a gig, right? Like right, I, right. like with writing, you, 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 it's a blank page and you can create something that's never existed very easily. With magic, it's a lot of the same tricks dressed up over and over again. And magicians all know that we all kind of have access to the same tricks unless you're, you know, you're truly like a magical genius who can pave new ground. For the most part, it's like we're all playing the same cover songs. It is us. It's, this, it's whatever our presentation of it is that makes it unique or different. Because magic is a bit of a, a subculture still, right? Most people can count the number of magicians they've seen in person, like on their hand. We had this cushy spot where, you know, I was the only magician in my high school, or maybe somebody's the most mm-hmm. famous magician in Baltimore. Anybody in Baltimore says magic, they're, gonna, they're thinking of Dave Davidson. You know, I'm just making it up. So like mm-hmm. magicians have this built-in cachet of being special that maybe, you know, writers and other performers don't have. But also mm-hmm. what comes with that is, you know, you can have 20 favorite bands, but most people couldn't name more than two magicians that they enjoy. So compared to writers, I think it's all of that except for there's more of like a, a spotlight seeking, a kind of an ego, natural, a little bit competitiveness. They say, you know, comedians can be a little cutthroat like magicians. I think 
can be as well because you're fighting for fewer slots. You're fighting for fewer pieces of the pie of, of magic fame. But in terms of like the how the magic brain works, like coming up with new magic tricks and riffing, I'm sure like a, a magic writer's room, like on my shows, I like to have basically 75% non-magic people, just good, funny writers, and then a couple <laughs> magicians. And you kind of create this mind meld because if the magicians know what they don't know and have a lane and the, the writers kind of, you know, have a lane and there's this way to merge where you end up coming up with a way to approach a trick or write a thing that truly didn't exist before because you're kind of using each other's superpowers. It has to be said that you broke both of your arms when you were 12? It has to be said. Yeah, 12. It, has, it must be said. It's my, that, my origin story. Your or, But it's a, that's pretty crazy. I mean, I, I cannot imagine having two broken arms at that. It, you would have to literally have your mom wipe your butt. Like, it would have been like the most demoralizing thing at an age when you're just starting to experience yourself as a human separate from your parents to literally need help with everything. It must have been awful. I'm I'm yes. sorry, but that is your origin story. But in your long journey from two broken arms to a series of TV shows that are both comedy, hosting, because you do a lot of hosting, especially of things with food. Is there any form of entertainment in that stretch that you have decided, because the name of the show is Quitters, to quit. Are you like, yeah, I'm not going to work with dogs. I quit using electricity. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I went full Amish magic. No electricity. I perform <laughs> yes. outdoors <Yeah>. daytime. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix at the bowl. You know, it used to be called the, the pool in front of the stage at the bowl, at the Hollywood Bowl, because it used to be filled with water. And there was a bunch of hippies swimming in the water and he got electrocuted on stage. So they had to get rid of the pool up there. I'm just pointing out that electricity could be dangerous, Justin. That's all I'm it saying. It can be dangerous. Did he go unplugged after that? Probably not. He didn't. I don't know. I probably not. Probably no not. Way. He stuck it out. He probably didn't remember it the next day, I'll be honest. Well, I quit I quit doves. Sorry, doves. Why? Remember I had doves. I had well well, yeah. <laughs> it's a pain in the you're taking care of 14 things, 14 living creatures <laughs> that you want to be kind to and treat well. I started doing kids' birthday parties, right? That was my thing, 15, 16, as just incredible. As a kids' birthday party entertainer. You learn extra skills like uh, balloon animals, right? A big feature is like the end of the show, there's a bunny rabbit that appears, right? These are like little magical pizzazzes that then become a little bit of a crutch for years after that. So you're in college now and you, you busting out balloon animals here and there. You're in college and you have a bunny on your dorm balcony. Well, and your name is just incredible. So there are these things that serve you so well at the time throughout college. Oh, just incredible. He's that, that magician. He's got a bunny and but you know there comes a point where you need to ditch those crutches in order to continue to grow, right? The biggest being going by the moniker of Just Incredible to me was like something that my mom came up with as a kid, as a stage name, magicians and stage names. It's somehow socially acceptable, right? To have a stage name as a magician and people don't think it's too weird. You know, your stage name is a pun. It's memorable. It's great when you're a kid's birthday party magician. It's great when you're like in college, touring college campuses and stuff. Oh yeah, Just Incredible. I remember that guy. But then, you know, I moved to LA and you're trying to also be taken seriously, maybe as a host or this or that. No one takes you seriously when your name is literally a a joke, right? So (laughs) for years, it was like this joke of a name, this identity, which was a joke, had served me so well to get me where I was. But my manager said, like, I'm I'm just, I'm not going to introduce you as Justin Crowder. I I can't tell anybody I represent a guy named Justin Crowder. And I was so hesitant. It wasn't until I was 30 that I like, was like cold turkey, let me not be Justin Crowder anymore. I get all the way to college. I get to 21. But we're talking mm-hmm. about nine years of, you know, professionalism in between where you were still yeah. clinging to it. What was it doing for you? The reason I got into food is I was a correspondent on the Rachel Ray talk show when it first came out. I went by Just Incredible on my first appearance on the show. And she thought it was so funny. Came back. I did like 20 different appearances over the course of a couple of years as her magician buddy, Just Incredible. But now I was like, oh man, well now people know me as Just Incredible. I can't not be just incredible. Like if Cedric the Entertainer was like, I'm going to start going by my real name. We would think it was that so strange, but his name is Cedric the Entertainer. We're desensitized <laughs> to the fact that like... That's a lot. Yeah, It's a lot, yeah. right? Carrot Top wouldn't host a show about cupcakes and not be, car- be Carrot Top. You're kind of primed to like, okay, he's going to do something zany if his name is just incredible. And maybe I don't want to always be zany. Is there an expectation on you at all times to be like ready to wow people? 
I mean, I hope you guys weren't expecting to see magic or lambshanks in this interview. In the Just Incredible years, maybe there's a, a coincidence. I knew better than to leave the house without a trick. I was raised in the magic community to think, oh, if you can't do a trick at the drop of a hat, like, what are you even doing? And also because it's always about handing out business cards and schmoozing, right? I'm sure, Julie, before, I don't know, before your big break, if it, if it was ever like, you got to always have a, you never know if you're going to meet a casting agent, have a monologue ready to go, right? <laughs> if you, you got the you opportunity, do, do the thing. Thank, <laughs> thank God, no. But because that would, would have been really bad busting out one of my, my Shakespeare sonnets. Uh-huh. Would have been a bummer. Well, me too. But, That's why you should have learned a magic. But yeah, I don't, I don't feel that pressure anymore. But I right. did if I said I'm just, inc- I'm just incredible. Almost like I would say it like that. Right. I was going, I'm just incredible. Oh, no. You might have known as a magician. <laughs> so you would be introducing yourself like in a social situation as just incredible? Not in a social situation, but hotel. Yeah. What's the name? It's incredible with a K. Just incredible. Oh, okay. <laughs> the magician guy. I don't know when your manager suggested you leave this sort of identity behind. Because I do think it's funny, but it's heavy. Your name. My name is not Julie Bowen. My name is Julia Bowen. Phillips. My maiden name was Julia Bowen Lutkemeyer. No one ever called me Julia. No one can say or spell Lutkemeyer. So I decided I'd use my middle name. And then I got known as that. And then when I got married, traditionally you dump your middle name and then your last name becomes your middle name. And I got married and I wanted my kids and I to have the same last name. So I'm Julia Bowen Phillips. And still everyone calls me Julie Bowen. That's what I am in SAG. And it becomes this really weird identity thing. I kind of got to a point for me where I'm like, I don't care what you call me. I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know how did you feel about leaving just incredible behind. Was he an identity of yours that you were sad to leave? How did you feel about that? I guess part of it was like me thinking like uh, I'm starting from scratch from a branding level, right? But essentially that's, I think, what I was wanting to Justin Willman, like this name that had zero attachment or expectation, just an ordinary name, which Just Incredible wasn't. So Just Incredible, when I was that kind of magician, just the name alone, I've already got, you already know something about me. That's the problem yeah. later, is that you think right. something about me afterwards. <laughs> hmm. It was letting go of maybe that branding thing, but I think just letting go of a little bit of pizzazz right off the bat, like that as a kid magician, I felt like was worth its weight in gold. But I think that narrows you to being a, a variety actor, at least a, you know, like the amazing Jonathan, incredible. But his name, he goes by the amazing Jonathan, you know, rest in peace, who was one of the greatest comedy magicians, right? But he had its very, very specific spot in entertainment culture, you know, just like, like Cedric the Entertainer, the fact that he has done it all, like, and and his name is a moniker, is uh, is, a, is a great testament. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I should have stuck with it. Maybe I should have stuck with Justin Incredible. It's not too late. I get it. It just feels like it's, again, part of that distancing, part of that control thing. Sounds like it, it can turn on you later, but right from the get-go, you're establishing this artifice that is a protective, performative shell. And there's nothing wrong with that, especially as a performer. But then to be a performer without that shell, I'm assuming meant an increasing confidence on your part. To circle back to what you guys mentioned earlier about why you became a magician. And and I was saying like, and I was, you know, in my thirties when I wanted to do magic, that was about a thing. And I think that coincided with when I was like, okay, I'm ready to shed the the code of being like that uh, magician with pizzazz with a name like Just Incredible. And then now let me just start from scratch and be a guy who you learned as a magician and now I present magic in a way that makes you think more about things. I think once I was ready to shed that moniker and the power that came with it, I was able to be more vulnerable, authentic. One of my favorite movies is The Prestige. I've watched it probably like eight times. Every time I watch it, I think it's about something different. Most recently, I'm like, oh, this movie is about commitment. If you want to be the best at this thing, your life has to be about it. I'm curious to do what you do at your level, which is like the pro sports level, basically, is how I would look at it. Like you're in the NBA of magicians. What's the level of commitment? How deeply do you have to be in it with your whole life? In my 30s, there was the touring colleges and just trying to do a show every night and adding new material and like workshopping it. Like those are like the paying the dues, like the real, the spring training prelude. Once start things started clicking, I would say my life became more like the technical aspects of performing and presenting and writing the words. I was never like a sleight of hand guy who's like learning 
these moves that require a couple hours of practice every day. I would be a monster with stage time, like could never, you know, get enough. I want to exploit every second of it. Now I would say like when, when we're, you know, working on a new show or like some big use of magic, that's where it becomes a team, you know, like that's where it's, it's me and maybe the six to eight people who I love making stuff with who are magicians and funny people and my go-to director who together can kind of have a mind meld, maybe like a team who can come together and create something much greater than the sum of its parts. And, th- and that, that's where everyone's skill and brilliance can shine through and cover up my own lacks of skill and brilliance. I love that we started talking about basketball and here we are, the NBA magic. <laughs> We're back. It's all back. I know. It's all the full NBA circle. Magic. I want to ask you a question about what I feel was a very controversial episode of Magic for Humans, where you tricked the children with the marshmallows. There's a classic psychological test where you tell a kid they can have one marshmallow now or two marshmallows later. Then you leave the room and they have a camera always. And it's supposed to tell you something about what kind of person these kids are, whatever. So Justin does this trick and he puts the marshmallow under a red solo cup, I believe it was, and leaves the room and there's a camera in there and the kid invariably lifts it up, lifts up the solo cup just to see the marshmallow, just to see it. Only now there's three. And then they put it back down and they lift up. Now there's five. The kid is doing magic to himself. <laughs> there's no one else in the fucking room. At the end, there, there, are no, there are no marshmallows. And the kid didn't eat any marshmallows. Now Justin comes back in the room and the kid's like, I didn't eat them. I didn't eat them. He's sobbing. And yet it's one of the greatest tricks I've ever seen because the kids are performing magic alone in a room to themselves and have no idea how it's happening. I don't have any idea how it's happening, but it was so raw and so emotional. And I thought a brilliant piece of television, but how did you feel about it? Would you ever do anything like that again? What was controversial about it? That, that we made a kid cry? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I recall uh. <laughs> you saying on it, when you're watching it, looking at a two-way mirror, looking at the screen going, oh no, oh, like it hit you a little too. You were like, eek, we didn't want to hurt Oh yeah, you. I felt so bad. I know, I know. What I love about that bit is just from the marshmallow test thing, right? Like that, that it's this right. piece of interesting science and psychology. Like I love the idea of recreating a social experiment with some extra like little wild card, like some new thing. And it felt like magic is that perfect thing where- if I could do the trick without having to be in the room, you not only get to see what kid could hold out for a marshmallow, but what a kid does when, and it's assumed that they ate the marshmallow when they really didn't. Like it's this extra personality trait that comes through. I did feel bad when this kid cried. I showed Dan Levy, not Levy, is one of my best friends, a stand-up comedian and a great writer and showrunner. And I remember I sent him that episode and he was like, well, you absolutely can't show the kid crying. You got to cut that. Because he was like a new parent. And I didn't have a kid at the time. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, that's, that is the realest of real, you know? And and I kept it in and I'm so glad I did because when you're watching magic, by the way, like as you can imagine, like your BS detector is up. So you're kind of just waiting for like something to put your BS detector at ease and you're just looking for something real. I want to see something real. I'm going to open myself up to the show. Don't tell me you're taking advantage of my gullibility here. I want to, I want to believe that this is all legit. And a moment like that is what we all search for. These kids knew that there were cameras there, but they forgot five minutes later after being left alone, an adult would never forget. You know, you'd be clocking it, but thinks he does, he forgot that we're all watching him right now and he's doing something truly real. I found it to be uh, interesting, not con- uh, controversial maybe that I didn't have more crying. That's the controversy. <laughs> I wanted more crying kids. What's the harshest critic saying about that? They're saying like, if you make a kid cry, don't show it. That's, that's exploitation. No, I guess it wasn't the kid crying. I really encourage anyone listening or watching this to watch. It's magic for human season one is it the first episode episode one Mm -hmm. episode one because these children are alone in a room there are no camera cuts and they are lifting up the cup and putting it down and each time they lift the cup put it down they themselves they're not doing it in a special way there's no adult there the number of marshmallows changes that would freak my shit out until the day i die i wonder if they're still traumatized because they think I mean, I know that we believe in synergies and synchronicities, but that there's an actual disappearing marshmallow, like, black hole. I would be scared as fuck if I was a little kid. Did you tell them how it works? Oh, no, no, no. Of course not. Oh, my God. No. That's what's got I would say, I would say, I would say just telling them that it was a magic trick. Most people telling them it's a magic trick, I don't need to know how it works. I just need to know, like, okay. 
that's not the devil at work here. Like I can, I can breathe. Past six months of working on the show, which is kind of technically a hidden camera magic show. Where normally when I do magic, it's for people who know I'm a magician. It's a safe place, right? I can take a chainsaw on stage, cut somebody in half. And if it looks incredible, like you'd be, I would get applause, right? right. But if I did that same thing in Home Depot and I'm just a dude, I would get arrested, right? Like same trick, right. like context, different context. So doing magic out of context, I, I find is very, very powerful. It was in that moment, like for that kid and for adults, like in everyday life, if a massive hidden camera conspiracy created something in, unexplainable, all you need to know was, okay, he's a magician. This is an all fake. Okay. I don't even know how it works, but I just need to know that my brain isn't melting. They only found out after that it was a magic trick, right? Mm-hmm. And I gave them more marshmallows and they forgot about everything. I don't know. I'd like to call one of those kids up now because to me, I think I would think for the rest of my life, anything is possible. And maybe that's awesome. That is maybe a, that maybe. is a gift that these kids are like, you know what? I, I I know what I I know what I saw. I made marshmallows appear and disappear mm. because you doing a chainsaw. True, those contexts are different, but both times the chainsaw at the Home Depot and a chainsaw on stage, it's still you. If a kid, if a kid saw me do that on stage, and then the kid tried it in Home Depot. Right, that's a problem. Thinking, but also thinking just, that chainsaws don't hurt people if you say the magic word. Right. I think all kids think that they can make things happen with their minds. And you actually confirmed that for them. I do this thing with the garage clicker. When my son and I go out for a walk or go for a bike ride or something, where I'll have him say the magic words to open the gate or open the garage. I'll have, he, he goes, magic? And he goes like this in the garage. Uh-huh. Opens. And I'm just <laughs> casually hitting the button in my pocket. We all could do that. I'm pretty good at it because for years I've been hitting buttons in my pockets for different tricks. Right. No spoilers. My son genuinely thinks that he's able to open doors with his voice. Here's how that backfires is when I don't have the clicker in my pocket and he comes home. Uh Uh-huh. And he's like, Uh magic. And then he's kind of frustrated like, magic. (laughs) And he'll do it a bunch until he gets like really like, like, why is it not working? And that's where I have to like make up for the now the, the false expectation, I have to work my way out of that one. Oh, it only, it only works once a day. We use the magic or whatever, but it's harmless, I think, just to I think it probably is. Some non-denominational wonder. I mean, is there a stop point on that? Is there like some line of responsibility where you can't overly fuck with people's sense of reality? Does a magician have responsibility? Is there any kind of like code? You know, some people would say that, uh, you know, psychics and mediums maybe are preying on a little bit of that suspension of disbelief on adults, right? For financial gain. Mm-hmm. Some people get a lot out of it, right? But some people lose a lot from it. There's an honesty, I think, that comes from magic. Was it Oliver who I pulled I pulled the yeah, lamb shank Oliver from his ear? Lamb shank. If he said, like, is that real? I would tell him, no, it's a magic trick, right? I wouldn't have to show him how it worked. But I don't think he right. still lives his life thinking that he's got <laughs> lamb shanks in his ears on, on no. demand. And that's sad. Because wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> well, you did do another one on Magic for Humans, which is really a theater piece in the park. It's social experimentation. He tells this person that he's going to cast some spell. Justin's going to cast a spell on this woman or man, I don't remember, and make them invisible. But what he's really done is told everybody in this wandering sort of part of this amphitheater park thing to ignore this person no matter what. And this person starts to believe that they are invisible. Justin's actually performed zero magic, which is what's so fascinating about that trick is that there's no magic other than the magic of what happens to that person's brain when they believe they are invisible. And there's giddiness and fear and excitement and then like testing boundaries. That to me seems so awesome and so scary all at once. And I want to go back to what Chad said. Is there a line for you... (laughs) Where you're like, I can't cross that line. I would never want to make you think that you caused someone bodily harm or death. There are a lot of tricks that make it look like the magician died or didn't escape from a thing. Putting any un- unnecessary emotional stress on you like that was really cruel for the most part, unless you kind of have it coming. And I say that because on the show that I've been working on, like, some people like have been doing that to their sibling for years, making them think that they ran them over. You killed this, this. There are exceptions to that rule. But for the most part, like, I'm very quick to swoop in. I get people messaging me who say, Justin, can you help cure my nephew's illness? People what? who are just see- searching for something to be. If I do my job well enough as a magician, even though I say I'm a magician and it's an illusion, some people think I know that's what you have to say, but it is real, right? You know what I mean? <gasps> there are people who who really believe that that I and other magicians have, you know, some supernatural 
ability. And I'll get people who message me asking for help with things. And I have to politely explain that I'm that I'm not that kind of magician. I don't want to tell them, and that doesn't happen, you know, whatever you're looking for doesn't exist because who the hell am I supposed to know? But but yeah, I don't want to give people false hope. I did a bit in Magic for Humans where I convinced people I was removing their NSA chips. Clearly, I thought tongue-in-cheek tapping into like, you know, conspiracy hysteria. Right. This was several years ago. Once a week, oh, I get no. someone e- emailing me or messaging me or DMing me asking if I'll remove their chip for them. They're like, I, I think I've been chipped like the people on the show. Oh, my God. How do I do it? Can I remove it myself? So I sell, I sell them a remover, uh, <laughs> ship it to that them. That would be amazing. Chad, do you know John of God is? No. John of God? John of God, kind of like mm-hmm. the the amazing Jonathan. In Brasilia, you go down there and you pay an enormous amount of money and you wear all white and the whole town wears white and you go there to get healed and you go there to have him pull cancer out of your body. And it mm-hmm. is a magic trick. I have no idea how the trick is done. I'm sure Justin does because he's pulled chips out. You could probably pull an ugly looking tumorous thing out. To me, it's like the most unethical thing in the entire world. If there's a placebo effect that helps some people, that's fantastic. Do you as a magician who actually knows how that trick is done, if you saw something unethical like that, would you feel an obligation to step in and be like, no, you're paying $5,000 and I'm going to show you that it's Literally, he's a charlatan. Yeah. It's a technique called psychic surgery, which like the chip removal thing was inspired by. Like James Randi, famous magician and debunker, would go and expose like how these charlatans would palm chicken spleens and stuff. You know, just using sleight of hand, make it look like they're just like pulling a lamb shank out of your son's ear. And I could have charged you 5,000 for that and telling you I removed his unfunny bone. I don't know. (laughs) But, but that's the same was, trick. It was this big. Yes. That's the same trick. But it's still happening and people are still paying for it. Yeah. I do feel moral repulsion to that and an obligation to do or say something about it. And magicians kind of all, have always been that debunker in that these techniques and skills are meant to be used for entertainment purposes with consent as opposed to passing them off as real and authentic. Harry Houdini used to, for the last decade of his life, was dedicated to debunking spiritual mediums and psychics, you know, because he they were using magician's tricks and passing them off as, as real. I'm not as vocal and ardent of a skeptic, you know, debunker like that, but magicians have a history of being very um, motivated at protesting that. Do you see any other professions or even just like character types of people as also magical and not in a um, cynical way, but like someone might say, whatever, the way Pat Mahomes throws a football, like there's magic in that. It's not technical. It's it's beyond what we thought was possible and believable, but it's happening and I see it, but it's doing something to me. It's making me say, wow, that's an example I'm using. But do you look at anything or anybody that way and say, wow, that's magic? I remember like seeing, you know, a movie like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or some, you know, some Charlie Kaufman movie where you're like, how does somebody pull that out of their head, you know, or mm. adaptation? Like that stuff feels magic or, or like Memento or, or even like Sixth Sense are almost like cinematic magic tricks to me. You're watching, okay, something's <laughs> going to And then at the end, like, oh my God, the, the trick or the punchline, you're like, a, to truly not see it coming is a beautiful thing, you know, to truly be, be fooled, right? Because I'm sure you watch a movie and you're thinking, where's this going? What's the twist? Like an amazing guitarist or an amazing athlete, like you can see the skill. Simone Biles, you're seeing how does their body do that, right? As a magician, though, like we have to hide the skill. You don't want to see me sweating and fingers contorting to do a trick. The magic needs to feel like it's just effortless, right? Mm-hmm. Magic just needs right. to happen, right? Because like it can't help but happen versus an athlete where you're seeing the hard work as a magician of trying to hide the hard work and make it feel just effortless. And maybe that's how it's a little bit different than other peak performers, right? It's on display. You watch watching John Mayer's fingers as he's playing guitar, right? It's like, I can't do that. One of the things that's become clear to me in, during this interview is Justin, it's kind of a young man's game. I know that experience is key when it comes to how you control an audience and 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 how good you are at tricks. But I'm older than you. I have a trigger finger. Like shit starts to happen with your dexterity. And much like a pianist or a surgeon, sometimes it's not older person's game. Now you're only 42. You've got tons of time. Is there anything that you could see making you quit the magic gigs. When COVID came along, I hadn't gone a week without performing live on stage, right? Magic expressed itself as a live performance. So I felt like I wasn't a magician if I wasn't 
on stage doing the thing, get it, you know, only as good as your last show. So I had to kind of redefine what being a magician was for a little while. Worked on projects that maybe utilized the, magi- the magician's brain or the magician's POV more than the magician's performance. Julie, we've, we've collaborated on some things that are about comedic take on the world of magic, but, but don't involve me like doing the thing, which probably wouldn't have ever happened if I didn't have to pivot. And we all kind of had right. to pivot in a little bit way. So I love performing, but I, do, I don't like being away from my life now that I have two kids for too many days at once. When I was doing the Roosevelt, it was, it was so fun at the beginning, but I just can't, can't become a routine where it's just like, all right, every Thursday and every Friday and every Saturday, same stage, same kind of crowd. Like I need something different. So there might be a, a world where I scale back on the need to be in the spotlight. No time soon though. No, No, 42. You got a lot more years. I would never do something that didn't at least involve exploiting what the experience of being a magician has given me, which I think is kind of like an interesting way to solve problems. Having a group of magicians solve a problem, I think is very fascinating to watch because you're seeing how people can naturally utilize every corner cut in reality and physics and perception to kind of create the desired result. And to me, that's just as fun as performing. Is there like an accessible entryway for someone who is just curious about the world of magic to learn one interesting world of information. Where I would go usually for this is like probably Reddit. I would go to like Reddit magicians or something like that. But Mm -hmm. I don't know if I want to just like at 11 o'clock p.m. tonight for the last hour that I'm awake, if I want to just like download to brain some information about magic. like Mm -hmm. Or learn like one good card trick that like is actually good that you could just have in your sure. pocket for the rest of your what, life, right? Yeah. yeah. One good lamb shank trick. One lamb shank. Or even just something about the psychology of like what you do. I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up on books. I would go to the magic section of the library, which I think is 793.8. That's the Dewey Decimal System. That's a nerdy thing. And I might be wrong. But the magic section of a library was all, like it would be the first stop or the magic section of a bookstore. And I would, you know, flip through that. You can learn a lot on YouTube. Kids these days learn magic on YouTube. But I'm sure you have to wade through a bunch of just crap. If you were like, hey, uh, I know a 12-year-old who would love to learn magic, I would say, buy them my magic kit that I sell on my website for charity. I know as a kid, when I got my first magic kit, instructions were hard to read. The the props were crap. And I was like, this is hard. I'm done. Mm -hmm. Like at age five, I was like, what the hell? I'm done. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't even think of my magic again until I was 12. As a kid, it's like, I want to open up this box, learn a trick. 10 minutes later, you can do it run in the next room, do it for your mom in the kitchen. And she's like, wow, like that's what I think you need to experience as a kid. As an adult, you're like, I'll give it a couple hours to learn a thing, to learn a technique. I want to understand why I, a magician, would approach it this way. You're willing to bite off a little bit more. So I would say there's some good books and I can send you some some links. Yeah. Well, Justin, thank you so much. Oh, did we start recording? We already started recording? <laughs> yeah, we started. Okay, good. Can you just tell us what your charity is? My, my mom passed away of Alzheimer's in, in 2020. So my uh-huh. sister and I, and my dad created the Sonia V. Willman Alzheimer's Disease Research Fund, which is in association with Barnes Jewish Hospital in St. Louis, where they're doing a lot of incredible stuff to, to, to hopefully, with the goal of making Alzheimer's disappear in our, in our lifetime. Of all the charities, and there's many ways to spend their money, obviously, it's exciting to see something look like it's right over the horizon. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you for you. sharing that. And if anybody wants to go and buy um, one of your magic kits and get the money to this uh, very worthy cause to help stop the progression of Alzheimer's and put it in the past, you can go to your website at justinwillman.com. Justin Willman. W-I-L-L-M-A-N. But I will tell you, listen, I still own just incredible URL. So you could probably type just incredible with a K. It would auto, it would redirect you. Because, you know, I'm not ready to let it go. Never let it go. That's right. Thank you, Justin. You're a delight as always. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thanks, Chad. Thank you. Thanks, Julie. Bye-bye. 